Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. As we work our way through Matthew's Gospel, we're now in chapter 9. Last couple weeks we saw Jesus is the Lord of nature. He's the Lord of the supernatural as the demons shook and listened to His command. And Jesus freed men who were possessed by many demons. And now we're going to see how Jesus is the Lord of the souls of men. It's Matthew 9. It's actually verses one to eight. That's what we're going to be focused on. Verses 1 to 8 this morning. Stand together for the reading of God's holy inerrant word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men were brought to him, I'm sorry, some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. That sends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. May he bless it to our hearts and to our lives this morning. Please be seated. A few years ago, when I was pastoring in upstate New York, I was able to teach a series on the attributes of God. It was an awesome time. It was a Sunday night, and we were digging into all the awesomeness of God, who He is. We dealt with His omniscience. He's all-knowing. We dealt with His omnipotence, all-powerful. I mean, we can't even conceive of the idea of all-powerful with no limits. We dealt with his omnipresence. He is everywhere. You can't escape God. You go into the pits, he's there. You go into the heavens, the highest heavens, he's there. So many awesome attributes of God. His grace, his justice, his mercy, his love. And my son Caleb at that time was just in high school and we were driving home from one of the sessions and I said, all right, Caleb, just give me one takeaway, the main takeaway. What's the practical application of studying the attributes of God. I mean, this is like a heavy question for this, you know, kid who has pink hair sometimes. You know what I'm saying? But uh, so, uh, and his answer though, this is how God works. His answer, and, and when you ask a question like that, right, there aren't always just one answer. There's usually a multitude of answers that are correct. But of course, as the teacher, you have like the one in your head that you're, you're hoping to hear. And so many times I have to say, no, try again. But this time, He hit the nail on the head, and I'm going to read pretty much what he said. He said, when we reflect on the awesomeness of God's character and being, his almightiness, his all-knowingness, his sovereignty sovereignty and holiness, it makes us marvel all the more at the wonder of how God became one of us in the person of Jesus. 
Isn't that awesome? What an, that was the answer I was looking for. It was one of those, ding, 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 ding. You know, what do we have for him, Johnny? No, but it really was that. Because I was so happy that the Lord revealed to my son. Right? Man didn't reveal this to him. God opened his heart to see that this awesome, incredible, infinite God became one of us, became one of his creatures, walked this earth, felt our pain, dealt with the common mundane things that we deal with when we say, rescue us, Lord, from the mundane, right? From washing the dishes the millionth time. He did all that stuff. Now put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jew who uh, knows the Torah well, who reads the old, his Old Testament well, and here comes this person in your town who begins to drive out demons, who can still the waves by just saying, shut up. Who could tell a legion of demons, get out of him. He doesn't even have to say now. They just obey his word. Who can go up to a leper. And not only does he go up to a leper from afar and say, I heal you. But he does the unthinkable. He touches a leper. and says, I am willing. Be clean. That's our Jesus. And then, right before this passage we're in now, <laughs> he goes up and frees a man who was, two men who were so possessed by evil spirits that they were naked. <laughs> that they would cut themselves and that they were so violent people couldn't walk near the tombs because they would, they would attack them. And Jesus has him sitting in his right mind, clothed and ready for service, serving King Jesus. He showed himself to be Lord over nature, over the supernatural, over our diseases. Now we have a text where he takes the final step and this the teachers of the law could not take. Now we have what some people think is a mere man saying something that only God has the prerogative to say. He looks at a human being and says, your sins are forgiven. Not according to the word. If you read this, God says, just, I say, (laughs) I say your sins are forgiven. Now you would think that they would be excited that God has come and restored this man and, and wants to forgive this man. But notice what they do. They call Jesus' holiness into question. That's what we're going to see in the text that we just read. Instead of receiving him in their hearts, listen to this, they don't even say it out loud yet, in their hearts they accuse him of the worst of all sins, in a sense. Blasphemy. How dare he? Bless you. And the interesting thing is they saw all the healings prior to this in Matthew. They saw people walking around who used to not be able to see or who had leprosy and didn't have it anymore. Because you remember Jesus said, go back to the priests and show them what I've done for you. They saw testimony after testimony. So what we're going to see, and God is going to call us out to see if we have faith. We're going to see by miraculously healing a paralytic, Jesus displays his authority to forgive sins. And we're going to see how powerful that is for us today. Whether we've known the Lord for 50 years, whether we've known him for five days, or whether we don't know him yet, this is an extremely important word from God that he wants you to hear this morning. That's why you're here.
So we're going to just see two things I want to point out from the text. First is, Jesus shows us that forgiveness is our greatest need. This is a powerful one. Powerful one. Well, I don't know about that. I don't know if you'll be crying. Um, maybe you'll be like the disciples who say about Jesus, what kind of man is this? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Peter falls on his knees and says, I'm not worthy. All right, so the text tells us that after Jesus arrived in his hometown, some man, men brought him a paralyzed man to be healed. The text clearly says, that's very interesting here, Jesus was impressed. Once again, we've been seeing throughout Matthew's gospel, what impresses Jesus? We've seen one thing that impresses Jesus. Faith. Whenever Jesus sees faith, you see he's impressed. Right? He's amazed, the Bible tells us, when people who are supposed to believe don't believe, like his own people. And he's amazed when a pagan Gentile has more faith than the covenant people of God. And in this case, he sees these men going through great lengths to get their friend to see Jesus. And don't forget, also, it includes the paralytic's faith, too. The paralytic had faith that if he could just get to Jesus, he knows Jesus could do something for him. But here's the interesting thing, and I hope you're struck by this. And it seems to be very unsympathetic of our Lord. They go through all this trouble. The other text, in, uh, the other uh, account for us in Luke, and I believe in Mark, it, it, it mentions that they cut a roof, a hole through the roof. You remember to drop Jesus in? That's a lot of work. But I won't get into that part because that's from the other gospel. But I will say this. They go through all this trouble. Finally, the paralytic's laying there like, oh, awesome, this is going to be the day. And Jesus says this to him, my son, your sins are forgiven. Oh, he says, take courage, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, Lord, <laughs> thank you for that. You know, I, I really appreciate that. But in case you haven't noticed, I can't walk. Now, let's think about this. And most, most, most likely the situation is I can't change myself. Right? I can't get around. When I need my friends just to come see you, I had to borrow, bother four friends to go through all this trouble to bring me here. Now listen, I remember as a kid, my mom didn't drive because she got her license and when she first got her license, she backed into a fire hydrant. <laughs> so ever since that day, that, the, the fear hit her and she would just never drive. So she kept renewing her license her whole life, but she never got behind a wheel again. And driving with her was fun because she had that, you know, that invisible break all the time with me. You know, I was like, Mom, you, you know, just not going to do nothing. But anyway, but I remember as a kid, because I remember this, we were always dependent on someone else to drive us places. You know, where we lived in Point Pleasant, it wasn't like you could just take public tra transportation cheap. You'd have to get a taxi, which would really run up lot of money if you needed to go to a mall or something but i remember how it was just horrible not being able to to be on your own and take care of yourself you always had to be dependent on the grace of other people and even if you're my, my one aunt would do it seemingly joyfully you still felt awful about it right well imagine this guy's situation it was way worse than that he was totally dependent on other people and here he is broken he, he's, and not only that, think about this. He knows that Jesus healed all these people. 
Right? He's there for a reason. Now here's the question. You think Jesus didn't know why he was there? Do you think the one who knew what the religious men were thinking, the leaders, didn't know what the paralytic was thinking? So then why does Jesus ignore this guy's cry? Is he guilty of being so spiritual, like some people accuse evangelicals, that he lacks common human compassion? Here's the problem with that. There's way too much evidence stacked up against that. Our Lord Jesus was the most compassionate, merciful, kind human being that ever lived because he was 100% human and 100% God. He healed the sick. He didn't just heal them, but he, like I said, touched the leper. He rose the dead. When there was a widow who only had one son to take care of her, he rose the son so she would be taken care of. Our Lord had compassion on the bodies of men and women. So why would Jesus do this? I think by doing this, I know by doing this, is one of the most powerful passages on this. He was preaching an awesome message to everybody, but especially the the cripple. He was telling them this. As important as physical healing is, and we all know physical pain and destitution is horrible, there is something that's even more important. There is a need that the human race has that is eternal and it lasts forever. And that need is the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins is the gift that keeps on giving. When this life is over and you're looking at a holy God, you're thankful for the forgiveness of sins. Like the the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. The problem with the world today, the problem with the folks back then, maybe even the problem with you and me at some times, is that we don't recognize, and certainly the world doesn't recognize, their greatest need. Everybody gets on board. When you open up, when we open up Hope for Atlantic City, we're going to help, help uh, low-income folk, we're going to help people that are down. You, people come. We get lots of support, and I'm thankful to God for that. That's definitely one of the things the church is called to do. And obviously, we started New City Fellowship because we think that the church has not done a good job with that. Can I get an amen? When we talk about evangelism, we often talk about meeting people's felt needs in order to get a hearing to address their spiritual needs. And here's what's interesting. And I, I, I kind of had a problem with this a little bit, but I, I do understand it. When I used to speak at a city mission, particularly I think it was in Sioux City, Iowa. Yeah, woo. Not a good place to be homeless, by the way. That place was freezing, 60 to 80 below. But anyway, they had a deal. Here was the deal. You come and get fed and we give you a bed, you got to come to chapel. Now, why do you think they'd had that? Because the chapel would be empty if it wasn't mandatory. You know why? People feel this need. You with me? They feel the physical need, but we just don't feel by nature the most important need of men, and that is the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus, 
was not being mean. He wasn't being rude. He wasn't lacking compassion. Just the opposite. He was showing compassion. Think about it this way. You remember he says in another context, excuse me, he says, it's better for you to have one eye and go to heaven, right? Than to have both eyes and get thrown into hell. He also says, don't fear him who can just hurt the body and that's it. But fear him who can take both body and soul and cast it into hell. See, Jesus has what we call the long-term view in mind. (laughs) He's not thinking just immediate. What we, have seen, what we see here is Jesus' ultimate compassionate response. I like to point this out to my charismatic brothers and sisters who I love with all my heart, but we have some differences. I like to say at least this. Look, even if God heals your arm or your leg or your head today, guess what? It's, it's not going to be forever, is it? Because someday, unless Jesus comes again, you're going to die of something (laughs) so even when god miraculously heals it's only a temporary situation it's a show of his mercy and his grace but it's not permanent in this life forgiveness is the most important because it lasts forever and someday because of that forgiveness you will have a new body that won't ever get sick and it'll be in a land where it'll be pure joy and peace and happiness and grace forever Forgiveness of sins is a very powerful thing. Sometimes in the Christian life, we say such things as, you know, we need, we, we, we constantly look for a second blessing. We constantly look for, what is this new thing? I, I already know about forgiveness of sins. I want something greater. And, and what the Bible tells us, what God is telling us is, there is nothing greater than to know that your sins are forgiven. There is nothing greater than being right with a holy God as an unholy person. Knowing for certain, having that freedom that you are a child of God in His household and He loves you unconditionally. I do want to say this before I go to my second and last point. It's obviously super important. God puts a premium on us helping the widow, helping the poor, helping the, the homeless, helping the alien. And I believe in that little saying, no one will know how much, uh, no one will care how much we know until they know how much we care. That's what we're all about here. Let me say that again. No one, no one will care how much we know until they know how much we care. But here's the thing that we have to work, work with here, especially in New City. When folks are down and out, when their living situation is rough from day to day and they're in a bad way, they're so accustomed to being victims, they're so accustomed to suffering, both because of the suffering they bring on ourselves, which we all do, or the suffering that other sinners bring on them, that they have a hard time recognizing their own need for forgiveness. You get that? I've dealt with folks who are abused and I'm trying to share with them the gospel and they're just so hung up on, but I didn't do anything to deserve what this person did to me. And I'm like, you didn't. But I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about your relationship with God. All of us have broken his law. 
So we have a job to do, just like Jesus already showed us that job, is we have to remind folks of their greatest need. We have to go out there and share with them the gospel, even though at times it's uncomfortable because they're like, uh, the gospel? (laughs) But here's the neat thing, and that's the second thing, and the last thing I want to point out. Jesus shows us that he has the authority to forgive sins. So there weren't the paralytic and the friends that were the only people in the crowd who heard Jesus pronounce the man's sins forgiven. In verse 3 and 4, we read this. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. Why did Jesus do this? Yes, he had compassion on the man, but he says very clearly why he performed this particular miracle. He says, look, it's easier to just say you're forgiven, but I want you to see that I have the authority to do this. How could he prove that he had authority? He was about to do something nobody else could do. That's where the miracle comes in, the sign. He says, go, take up your mat and go home. And I love what the text says, just got up, took his mat, went home. No bones about it. Now, here's the thing that you may not be thinking about. If you've ever worked in a hospital or a nursing home, or if you've ever, ever dealt with an aging, um, an elderly parent or grandparent, you realize that the longer that they have been in bed and they're, they're bound you know, in bed and they can't walk, you realize there's atrophy of the muscles and you realize I remember seeing this in many of my family members unfortunately uh, where they whittled down and you realize that what Jesus did was amazing because not only he didn't just heal them he brought their body back to full function it was an awesome miracle and see here's the problem with the teachers of the law they were thinking in their hearts only God can forgive sins now here's the awesome thing they were half right it's true, only God can forgive sins. But the half that they were wrong was dead wrong. What they failed to see is God was standing right in front of them. The God they claim to worship, the God they say they study throughout the Old Testament, the God who they're waiting for because they can't wait till he reveals himself to them, he's standing looking them in the eyeball. He's shown them evidence after evidence. It's interesting, is the crowd saw this. They were filled with all. They praised God who had given such authority to men. So the crowd didn't fully get the implications of Jesus' pronouncement that this man's sins were forgiven. The Pharisees, or the teachers of the law, they actually saw all the signs, and in the face of all that evidence, were rejecting him. This is what D.A. Carson says. What they were thinking was untrue, unbelieving, and blind to what was being revealed right before their eyes. And here's the interesting thing. Their unbelief toward Jesus could not be, be attributed to a lack of evidence. 
Because now, here's the issue. This isn't even secondhand. This isn't somebody coming back to them and showing them what Jesus did. They saw it with their own eyes. I mean, that's incredible. Can you imagine seeing somebody? Yeah, I'm not talking the, the shysters on TV that they come in with the wheel, you know, wheelchair and they say, be healed. And all of a sudden they're like, yahoo! You find out later that they were in cahoots. and you know, No, no, no. This was like, this guy was obviously, like I said, totally crippled. They got to see that with their own eyes. And still, in the face of that evidence, these men were critics. They were complainers. They weren't just pessimists. You know how some of us, our friends are the glass is half empty. No, they were persistent in unbelief, even with the evidence. So often we think that if we could just give more evidence to people that they would believe. This shows us the Holy Spirit has to work in the hearts of men. That's why we pray. Lord, do it. Build the house. Otherwise, we labor in vain. Jude 16 describes these men well. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. These teachers of the law... Don't come to Jesus to be taught, but they come to find fault. And unfortunately in the church, there's too many like that. They don't come to the feet of Jesus to learn, to humble themselves, but they come instead to find fault, to grumble. Why do I bring this up? Because really, basically, we're in one of these categories. Either we're like the teachers of the law just looking to find something wrong like you know your friends are always trying to look for something wrong with Christianity and they always have an excuse why they don't believe or maybe we're like these hopefully like the men and the paralytic that we see the evidence and we trust in Christ or we could be like the crowd who says wow this is cool and go our own way in amazement, but we really just didn't get it. And it's not a casual question. Who is this Jesus? The way you answer it will have eternal consequences. The Lord showed His authority over the natural world, the supernatural world, and now the souls of men. And He asks us, maybe He re-asks you, will you trust in Him for your eternal soul? Will you believe in His forgiveness? And live like it. His hands are the only safe place for our eternal souls to find rest. What's interesting is Jesus performed many miraculous healings throughout his ministry, but he didn't heal everybody. And we don't have a promise in the New Testament that as believers that we will find healing for every disease, for every problem. But there is something that we do have a promise for. And that's this. I'm going to read it again. We read it earlier. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives what? Forgiveness of sins through his name. Here's the thing with forgiveness of sins. Now, some of you know, you're probably sick of hearing it, but I can't get over it. I lost like 40 pounds. Now, you don't under, let me tell you why you don't understand why I, I'm so excited you always hear me talking about it. Because I was fat. 
And now I'm not as fat. Still got a little fat, but I'm not as fat. And I so appreciate and I'm so thankful to God now that I can bend over without going, Ugh! You follow me? I'm so thankful to God that when I did my blood work, I'm way healthier. I'm thankful to God that when I walk out to get the mail, I'm not huffing after walking 50 feet. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying it for this. If you were never fat, you don't know how great, great it is to be skinny. <laughs> you just don't realize the gift of being healthy and in shape, right? Because you've never been that overweight. I bring it up for this reason. Some of us don't realize the awesome gift of the forgiveness of sins, not because we're not sinners, but because we haven't realized the depths of our wickedness. You with me? The holier a person actually gets, the more they recognize how much of a sinner they really are and how awesome Jesus is. I've been walking with him since 1986, and I don't love him less. I love him more because God reveals to me. It's not just drinking and smoking and, and being immoral that's sinful. That's just a tip. Can I get an amen? It's the envy, right? It's the jealousy. It's the malice. It's the hatred. The covetousness dishonesty i keep going on and on and most of all not loving the lord our god with all our heart soul mind and strength and the way we treat people did you ever notice in the church they might not dance they might not chew they may not go with girls that do but some of them are just downright mean you with me we need jesus Dick Lucas, I want to end with this. Dick Lucas gives a great illustration. He invites us to imagine with him the following scenario. I think this captures it so well. That's why I want to close with it. Listen to this. Just kind of listen. If the paralytic could come down from heaven and give us his testimony. You know, churches like to do that, to hear a, a celebrity get saved. They bring him in. They give a big testimony to everybody. Well, let's say the paralytic came down from heaven and gave us his testimony. He would probably say something like this. I like this. It's great to be with you all. I remember that day as if it was yesterday. It was amazing to get right up and walk. I never thought I'd walk again, but I ran out of that room. He would then tell you about the rest of his life and then say this. But now I have been with Christ for nearly 2,000 years. And now I know why he forgave my sins first. That was the really important thing I needed, although I did not realize it at the time. I just thought how great it was to be able to walk. Now I know that of the two great blessings he gave me that day, the spiritual was by far the greatest. That's what Jesus wants us to see. The greatest of all blessings he could possibly give you and me is the right relationship with the Father who loved us and who gave up his Son so that we would not have to be separate anymore, but we could be a loving, loved part of the family and a future that's literally out of this world. So when I ask you to please pray for my unsaved loved ones, 
when we have friends, when we have neighbors, when we see people living apart from Christ and it breaks our hearts, it's because we know that their, their greatest need is to be right with God. Because this life, they could have all the wealth in the world, they could think they're the happiest person in the world, but without Jesus, they got nothing. Worse than nothing. I wish it was nothing. Jesus shows us the one thing that we have, the church has, that no one else has, no one, is the gospel. The true gospel. And I don't just mean the words of John 3.16. I mean we are His body that ministers and administers that gospel and builds people up in the one true faith. So brothers and sisters, as we go and serve and we wash feet, and by the grace of God, I hope I'm on the forefront of demonstrating that we need to do that here and abroad. If we fail to tell them the gospel lovingly, then we fail. It's as simple as that. We need to show them how much we value it. And we need to share it with them. As we give them bread, we need to remember, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the greatest of all those words is the good news. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your death and your resurrection. There is literally no hope without it. We ask your forgiveness for not valuing it as much as we ought on a daily basis or being glib about it. We know it was free to us, but it cost you dearly. It cost you everything. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts for our unsaved loved ones, our unsaved friends, our unsaved neighbors, our unsaved enemies. Lord, we we know that they are dominated by the devil and sin and are just drowning in the world and its ways. And so God, we pray for the particular people that are in each of our minds right now. We pray for their salvation. We pray that you would open their hearts up to their greatest need. Lord, we think of those in the community who we have the great privilege of loving on. But God, we ask that you would open our mouths to speak the words of life. The words of the crucified and risen one and ascended one. That we would point them to the world's one and only Savior, you, Jesus. Forgive us for our guilty silence at times. Lord, give us a boldness. Give us a clarity to speak it as we ought with no fear. And Lord, give us that love in our hearts that we're willing to risk relationships to confront people with the truth for their own good. Oh, and Father, may we not become grumpy and unbelieving, which we can be prone to do in the church. But may we demonstrate for the world daily repentance and daily trust and the forgiveness of sins. We approach you boldly because of Jesus. To this end, it's in his name we pray. Amen.
This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.